Have you ever experienced a narcissistic relationship? I know that's a buzzword these days, and there's so much information out there. How do you recover from gaslighting? What if you co-parent with them? We tackle these hard-hitting questions and more in today's episode. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest, Shay Sparks. And today, my guest is my dear friend, Jay Garrett. And we go back, gosh, I don't even know, 12, maybe 11, maybe years? Yeah, 11, 12 years. Oh, thank you so much, Jay, for being here. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. I just think it's hilarious that we've had conversations like we're going to have today um, dozens of times over the past 10 or 12 years, and we get halfway through those conversations and say, why did we not record this, or why right. did we not put this on a podcast? That would have been such great content. So I'm glad that we're sitting down. Thank you for the invitation. I look forward to having a, a conversation with you today. Well, you know, it's funny because of our long history of friendship and the conversations that we've had over the years, they have shifted and changed and ebbed and flowed. And it wasn't really until the last couple of years that we've really got onto this topic of narcissism. And, um, and, and it's really because we both have experienced it. And I knew that, you know, I've been doing this series right now in the podcast called Relationships, Leadership, and Love. And to me, narcissism is carries in all areas. We see it in, in toxic leadership, we in, in companies, we see that in businesses, and we see it at home in relationships. And in sometimes it's parent-child relationships, and sometimes it's that love-romantic relationship. So I knew you were the person I just wanted to have on because of everything that we've talked about and because of what you do. So tell us about you being a divorce recovery coach. Well, I tell you, it's funny. I just passed my 19th anniversary of being single again. <laughs> I was like, holy mackerel. I had that conversation with somebody. And so I got my my ex-wife moved out on Valentine's Day of 2004. Wow. So when I said 19 years to somebody the other day, I was like, wow, I've literally been divorced twice as long as I was married. Wow. And so some of these numbers start, you know, I guess it's, I remember back in the day when the old folks used to say, you know, talk about how how fast time passes and mm -hmm. and I look at it now and I'm like huh I've been I've been divorced I mean I've lived in my house for this this same house for 25 years and I'm like that's crazy yeah like why have I lived I mean it's just funny stuff so I went through a divorce my I had two boys um they were three and seven at the time and I didn't want the divorce um you know, we were essentially on different pages and um, I can get into more details and um, where that's, a you know, appropriate. But just to give a su summary of what where I'm at, I remember just feeling alone mm. and I knew statistically, I mean, I'm a relatively smart guy. I was like, statistically, I know there's other guys going through what I'm going through right now. 
-hmm. And there's other guys in Austin that are going through what I'm going through, which is where I live. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to find those guys. I was like, you know, do I find them at church? Do I find them, you know, do I find them at the bar? You know, like what were the questions? And then I started asking the question like, well, I just feel alone. Hmm. What do I want? You know, maybe I just want to know that there are other people that are in the same misery as me. And that was kind of the conclusion that I came to. I didn't want, I didn't need advice. Hmm. I didn't need somebody to tell me how to do it. I just wanted someone to be in the trenches with me and say, Hmm, I know, I know what you're going through and I know how hard it feels and it's perfectly okay. Jay, if on a particularly emotional day, all you're able to do is get the boys up, get them dressed and out the door to school. Hmm. And if that's some days that was a win and, um, you know, that was just all the energy I had. Um, so it just, you know, I just kind of knew that there was, there had to be other guys like, but how do, how do men connect mm-hmm. on that level? Because it's showing vulnerability and it makes us feel weak. You know, our assumption is like, God, I feel weak, you know, and we feel rejected. We already felt rejected from our wife, whether we're the one that wanted the divorce or not. There's an element of rejection when a, when a marriage breaks apart. Sure. And, um, so I just started asking those questions, you know, I just started thinking, you know, what would have been helpful for me when I went through that? Um, and, you know, are there groups out there? And, you know, it, I couldn't find groups and, you know, and it's not to say that, that there aren't, you know, other divorce recovery. I think, you know, especially in today's age of mental health, um, just being on the forefront of everybody's conversation or it's, at least it seems like it is um there probably are other groups um but then that drive and motivation is what led me to say you know i, I need to start a group and just be available and it, it started out with buddies of mine that were going through divorce and other friends of mine that knew that i'd gone through a divorce and they would recommend guys like hey you know, somebody like, in fact, I was just texting with one of my friends this morning and I remember him saying, he introduced somebody in a group setting and said, I want to introduce you to Jay. You need, should talk to Jay mm. about what you're going through because I admire how Jay's gone through how he's handled his divorce. Mm. And I was like blown away. I mean, yeah. I was like, wow. Cause I didn't, I didn't feel that way. And, and, um, you know, I didn't even think people were necessarily noticing, you know, what I was going through. Uh, I mean, I notice when other people are going through divorce, but you know, it, it doesn't rise to the level of daily attention. And when you're going through a divorce, ah, it's daily attention. So (laughs) long story, which I always seem to, to over detail for you. But um, that's how I, I kind of got motivated to start a group. And um, so then some of the, the groups that it was just kind of support groups, some of those guys would ask, you know, well, what about dating? Well, what about, you know, this, you know, what should I do? How should I handle this? Um, is this normal? 
And that seems to be the biggest, the biggest part of it mm. um, is, you know, is it normal to feel a certain way or to think a certain way? And then that prompted, actually what prompted some one-on-one -on -one coaching was the dating after divorce. Mm. Um, there were so, so many guys or several guys that just wanted, Hey, you know, could you kind of coach me through, you know, what that looks like? You know, I've been married for 30 years and I don't want to be alone. Mm. And so, I, but I don't know what dating looks like because I've been married for all my adult life. So we, uh, you know, so I started doing that. And so men have hired me for date coaching. They've hired me for just divorce recovery, which um, really, you know, is really the pain point. Um, and, and every man's different. So um, sure. the funny thing is now that I'm doing this, I end up having women ask me, hey, you know, what do guys think about this? Or, you know, mm -hmm. and I've, I've not forayed over into coaching women, but, um, they're, they do ask me questions and it's, and it's kind of interesting. It's, it's fun using divorce and divorce recovery as the canvas, um, upon which you can discuss the differences between men and women and how mm. we, how we handle life and each other. Yeah. So yeah. long, long answer to your short question. <laughs> well, it's interesting. The reason I ask is, well, first of all, I wanted to hear you wanted to share with the audience what your backstory was. And, you know, for me, it's been 14 years of being single. And even though I wasn't in a divorce, it was a huge breakup and the betrayal and the, all the feelings that you feel, it's so helpful to have someone navigate it with you like you said you just want someone in the trenches with you and honestly for me it was that conscious decision that I needed to to heal and I think a lot of times when we go through major breakups like that there's the society's um the worldly view of the best way to get over, over someone is to get under someone and it's like, and then you're doing a complete disservice, not only to that other person, but mostly to yourself, because you're not even remotely in a place where you are, are able to be in a relationship with someone else. Yeah. It's really hard to, to navigate, um, <clears throat> that arena because it's not that time heals all wounds. It's what you do in that time mm -hmm. that is healing. And, you know, to address, you know, what you, you know, you mentioned about, you know, kind of how the world um, pitches to people, you know, just get another relationship. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, it helps on some levels, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. And, you know, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna heal the pain. It's only going to mask it. Um, in fact, I was just talking to somebody this morning about, we were talking about the difference between your conscience and your soul. Mm. And it's, 
it kind of addresses a little bit of of that as far as getting getting to the pain of the breakup and how you handle that and how you heal and those steps of healing and what you're doing during that time uh, matters. I mean, it takes time to do those processes. It's like, you know, I, I want to run a marathon in May. Okay. Well, time is not going to be what gets me motivated or gets me equipped to run that marathon. It's what I do during that time. Got to do the work. Yeah. So I had major shoulder surgery from a snowboarding accident several years ago. And so it wasn't just time that was healing. It was what my body was doing. It was the therapy I was doing, therapy that I'm still doing. And, you know, I'm much better, obviously, but it's not just the time. It's what happens during that time. I completely agree with you. And which, you know, there are people who you will meet if you're in the dating world, you'll meet and they've been divorced you know, 12 to, you know, 20 years and they're not healed. They didn't take that time to heal. They didn't take that time for therapy. I just had a conversation with someone new I met recently and, uh, and I said, so did you do therapy? And he's like, for what? And I said, since your divorce and, um, you said that your wife stabbed you. So there's a whole lot of stuff that probably needs help unpacking. And um, yeah, clearly we didn't make it to even meeting. Um, but what was fascinating to me is how there is a whole lot of people out there unwilling to do the work, but it's just the crucial part of it. It's just one piece of the puzzle trying to rebuild your life after you're in a breakup. And, you know, our topic today is mostly about narcissists. So tell me about that a little bit. What's been your, what's been your relationship with narcissists? Well, I tell you, it's narcissism gets thrown around so much. Um, The term, you know, I won't venture to say that it's that it's overused, but it sure is used a lot. Yeah. And so the I've dealt I've dealt with some real narcissists, both men and women, and my unscientific conclusion is that narcissism is kind of a spectrum type um, character trait. Mm -hmm. So somebody can be more narcissistic, and at some point in time, somewhere along the narcissism spectrum, then you reach the level of being a narcissist. And then I think further along the spectrum, you reach the uh, level of actually having, you know, narcissistic personality disorder. So it just, you know, somewhat gets somewhere on there. I don't really delve into a lot of the delineation between someone just being selfish and being narcissistic. Um, But, you know, they're, they're very closely linked Um, the reason that I got interested in narcissism is because I'm attracted to strong, competent, and independent people. And 
one of the best things I read was that narcissism imitates competence. Mm. And I was like, that is why I have had relationships with women that have turned out to be narcissists Hmm. and, you know, somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah. And because I would, I would beat myself up. I was like, how did I miss this red flag? What (laughs) happened here? Am I an idiot? And then, you know, and fall in love with women that, you know, turns out later on, I was like, wow, I'm an idiot or I'm Mm. incompetent at dating Mm. um, because I missed this. But then I was like, you know, so what is, what's that mask? And, and so I was trying to figure it out and, and I, and I've used the term mask a lot, but I, I just remember reading that narcissism imitates competence. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And I think why we often fail to recognize that unhealthy personality trait in a partner. Mm. Um, And then, you know, if you're in a relationship, in an intimate relationship with somebody who is narcissistic, overly selfish, has NPD, then they're all about the relationship serving them. Right. And you're not going to have a life, a a long-term healthy relationship. If you're in a relationship with somebody that's all about serving themselves. Um, Went through my last long-term girlfriend um, when we, after we broke up, you know, people were asking me, you know, can you give me a synopsis and not a 30 minute dissertation? I was like, yeah. As, and well, I worked on it. I didn't, I couldn't put words to the thought at first, but what the summary was is that she wanted me to be a boyfriend in her world, mm-hmm. but she didn't want to be a girlfriend in my world. And I was like, huh, that's narcissism in a nutshell. It's like, okay, yeah, the relationship only when it benefits her, then that's all it that's all it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, kind of the um, the masking of the confidence that I want in somebody um, can certainly, you know, be misread as confidence when in fact it's just narcissism. Um, what I've discovered from, you know, several narcissists that I know, um, friends, male, female, they, they are trying to appear more than what they are. Mm. So that hides a self-loathing that they have of some shortcoming. For example, one of the, the, the woman that I was dating for a long term, um, in fact, my longest dating relationship, um, she, she just had some history, um, some things that 
like she didn't go to college, didn't finish college. And that was something that bothered her. Now, she was successful in her, in her, her business, but that was something that stood, you know, it mm-hmm. played a reel in the back of her mind. And while it's playing in the back of her mind, she's trying to compensate for it. And when one does that, uh, you know, eventually their, you know, their real self comes out. Um, and, and that's why I, I was like, man, you know, maybe like, like for me personally, and I shared this with a couple of guys that, that, uh, are trying to date again. I was like, you know, I didn't think it was a big issue that, that I have a doctorate and she didn't have any college education. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't bother me. However, maybe I should have taken pause and had a conversation about it because it bothered her. Mm. And the reason it bothered her is because her ex-husband had a college degree and he rubbed her nose in it. Mm -hmm. So she had a 12 year marriage that was all about or 14 year marriage or something like that. That was all about rubbing her nose in her lack of education. And that's Mm. how he was making himself appear more important in their marriage. And of course their marriage fell apart Mm -hmm. and that was a wounding in her, from her marriage that she never handled. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to know that on date one or date five, but it's something that it's like, Hmm, that's, that should be something that we, you know, open up and and discuss uh it's funny in in dating you don't necessarily want to go into a lot of discussion about people's exes but it's amazing how much you'll discover about somebody on or from their representation of how you know who their ex was how they related to their ex um how they talk about their ex how they talk yeah exactly Uh absolutely so you know getting back to the the narcissism um you know it it took me a while to really just identify like you know why why am i a victim so i not a victim but you know why have i dated um so many narcissists and um and is that in, is that a fair assessment? You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to just throw the term around. I don't want to, right. you know, call somebody, you know, a narcissist who's not. But, you know, if they have some narcissistic tendencies, you're like, what's going on there? And, of course, I want to own, I want to own my part of the breakdown of the relationship. But I also want to learn from that relationship and, um, you know, so hopefully, you know, future relationships are better and, um, you know, learning <laughs> to help my friends, which is why I started the divorce recovery group. Well, you know, it's like, wow, I just don't want people to have to go through what I went through. I don't want in- my enemies to go through what I went through. I was like, that's the most miserable thing ever. <laughs> so whatever, go- you know, nuggets that I can 
glean and share, you know, I want to share, you know, I used to tell my boys all the time, I was like, look, I don't care if you make mistakes. I just don't want you making the same mistakes I made. That's why I'm telling you all my mistakes. Mm -hmm. I want you to learn. It's like reading history and then, you know, not applying it. It's like, you know, learn from the history, learn from my experience, go out and, and build, you know, your character and your life on what you've learned from your mistakes, but also you don't have to go through the consequences of learning from my mistakes if you can just accept them. Hmm. So that's uh, kind of where the whole narcissism came in. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's hard to not throw that term and just say, oh, they're a narcissist. Like, well, yeah. okay, you know, maybe they're just being selfish and maybe they're just selfish. We've got to be selfish to a degree. Um, and I, and maybe not selfish is, has a bad connotation, but we've got to love ourselves mm -hmm. enough to be healthy so that we are a benefit to our partner, society, our friends, you know, mankind as a whole. Um, if we're not loving ourselves, then then we're taking away from society. We're not adding to it. Yeah, and I love that you said in the beginning that you see narcissism as a spectrum, right? I think the term is so overused. However, it's important to really look at it from a standpoint of, is it self selfish and self-absorbed to the fact that you're not a you're basically a standby in their life. They're not co-creating anything with you. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, I was in an abusive relationship and he was narcissistic. And I'll say narcissistic tendencies. I won't because, you know, he didn't have a diagnosis. Right. And most of the times they don't have diagnosis because, first of all, a narcissist would probably never go ask for help if they were a true narcissist. Right. So they wouldn't be able to get that diagnosis. But um, the gaslighting and the manipulation that I received, I was on the receiving end of, that's what really blew me out of the water of that self-worth and that insecurity, which is what you described with your your ex-girlfriend. That's what she was probably experiencing. It sounds like her ex-husband was probably had some narcissistic tendencies as well. And that's why it's so important to heal is to, to make that conscious decision to heal because a lot of times we are, our self, self-esteem, self-worth is shot, is gone. I know mine was, I was, I, I, the way I described it was as if I was crawling through molasses on the floor, trying to get through every single day after um, that his accident, just trying to get through it because it was like, I don't even know who I am because I was told who I was by him for so many years. And now I'm like, I don't even, I don't even get it. I don't even know. I don't know what I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to be, who I want to be. And that whole self-worth component was to the point where, you know, I was not suicide. I didn't think of like that, but in my childhood, I had suicide thoughts 
And so now I'm in my mid thirties when this happened. And I went, oh my God, I've literally just been living life waiting to die. Oh. I'm uh, surviving. I've been in survival mode my whole entire life up until then. And I thought, I don't even know what thriving looks like. I don't even know what not being in survival mode looks like. So it was a really conscious decision to really seek out opportunities and books. And I swear that every single person who's ever been in a bad relationship should read Women Who Love Too Much, even though the book should be titled People Who Love Too Hard, because that's what's happened is we fall in love with the potential of the person. We're looking at all the good, amazing things that they do. It might be, you know, 60, 40. So we're looking at all the 40 amazing things, 40% amazing things that they do instead of the 60% of the horrible things that they do. We overlook that, especially if we were raised in a, in a, in a home to be, to be nice, you know, make sure you take care of others, you know, you compromise, you know, all of these th teachings that we learned as children has actually kind of set us up for these particular relationships, right? So one of the things I've always, I continue to say is that our childhood experiences shape our adult decisions. And mm -hmm. I learned that when I was, the reason I was in a relationship like I was, was because it was familiar. Now it wasn't to the degree of familiarity, but it literally, literally had some aspects of both of my parents, my mom, my dad, both of my brothers and my grandmother, all of their negative traits was rolled into a person. And, you know, he had all of those to the nth degree and it's so amplified, but I didn't even recognize the things that I had picked up as being okay as a kid, because we don't, mm -hmm. we don't realize we're just, we're just being a kid we're just having fun and existing and playing and we don't realize the stuff that gets bombarded on us right absolutely and when i started to heal and go through my it was in my process i realized the other book that really changed my life too was the book boundaries and i had to learn number one what a boundary was i had to learn that it was okay to say no you can't talk to me like that no, you can't, you're not going to um, treat me like that. That's not okay. Like the little things like hanging up on the phone on someone, uh -huh. right? Like, oh, well, you hung up on me and then you call back and then it's this cat and mouse of who's going to pick up the phone? Are they going to pick up the phone? Blah, 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 blah. Being ignored, silent treatment, all of this stuff. And yet I had to learn that I could say that's not okay. Yeah. But I was playing the game because I didn't know. I thought that's what you had to do to be in the relationship. You just played along with what the other person was doing. And when I learned that I could say, no, I'm not going to be hung up on. And when you hang up on me, that's literally time for me to exit. Uh -huh. Like I'm done. And I'm like, if I had learned that before I met my ex, I there wouldn't have been an ex. I mean, he lit when he did that early on in the relationship when we first started meeting. So uh, yeah. And I know he was doing it playfully in the beginning, but no, he was grooming me uh -huh. to, to accept it because that's what his personality did on a regular basis was hang up the phone. And so yeah. since then I've had people where I've been talking to him and they hang up the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Thanks. Yeah. 
Thanks. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny because that's how people go to serve their own needs and their own selfish desires. Um, you know, and that's, that's what he was trying to do with you. He's like, you know, setting up, like, how can I get her? I mean, and it, it may even be subconscious, you know, it may not, it may not sure. be a conscious decision. It's just the way he's wired. It's like, this is how I've been rewarded. Um, and because I've been rewarded this way, I'm going to continue to behave this way. And that's, you know, I've taught parenting classes and co-parenting classes, um, parenting for single parents. And that's the, that, that is a really, really hard thing to, mm -hmm. to overcome. And it, it's so important in parenting, no matter if it's, you know, a single parent, dual parent, but, you know, teaching your kids, you know, a healthy um, way of interacting with people, a healthy amount of self-love, um, learning where their rights begin and where others' rights begin, um, and what type of behavior is acceptable and not acceptable. Because what happens is somewhere around the age of nine or 10, um, and it may be earlier, you know, women mature faster, girls mature faster than boys. So it may be, you know, sooner for girls, but somewhere in that time frame, we start paying attention to what others think about us. Mm -hmm. And so we start behaving and cur curving our behavior based upon how others will, you know, accept us or think about us. Um, big, you know, a big uh, hole in social media is, is that, um, you know, living for the appearance so other people accept me, they'll like my, my photos or my videos or, I mean, it happens. It's mm -hmm. like, we're, we're all human. We all want to be liked. And so we're all, susceptible to that pitfall um but when kids don't learn to maturely love themselves and protect themselves from this grooming behavior from gaslighting to recognize what gaslighting is right um i had a discussion this week earlier this week about um, oh, I know what it was that, that trial that's going on, um, in North Carolina or South Carolina, the Murdoch trial or whatever that attorney, um, he's been accused of murdering his wife and son. Mm. And that was to, he had been embezzling money from his legal clients for years and I mean, it's just, he's wow. like a fifth generation lawyer in the town and everybody, it's a small town, everybody knows him. Well, we were having this discussion about like, how can you get to a point where it's, you conclude that murdering your wife and your child is the best choice. Right. And it's, it's a constant snowball of lifelong five generations of protecting people from the consequences of their decisions. Hmm. 
And there, when you're not accountable, when you're, when your parents save you from the consequences of your actions, when you're three, and then when you're seven, and then when you're 15, and then when you're 35, then you never have to consider the consequences. You never have to be accountable because you've always been rescued. And, you know, the, when we get in a relationship with a narcissist, you know, that's what they're essentially doing. They're trying to escape accountability. Mm -hmm. They are trying to like, how can I maneuver the story so that I don't have to be accountable for my actions mm -hmm. and that you can continue to serve me and make me feel better? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that about the accountability piece, because um, what comes up for me is the co-parenting. So I believe that when a parent is co-parenting and the other one is a is has the narcissistic tendency it is duty responsibility of the quote-unquote good parent to teach the children boundaries healthy boundaries and what um, gaslighting is what manipulation is what hanging up the phone is not acceptable you know sh not showing up is not acceptable so that it teaches the children to hold that other parent accountable. So I, that's how I look at it. So what do, what is your belief system on that? What do you, what do you teach people? Well, when it, it's, it's, it's a dangerous conversation whenever you are trying to discuss how to parent children in relation to their other parent. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I kind of keep in the back of my mind is I believe that there is a standard truth. There are standard morals. There are, you know, standard levels of respect that we all owe each other as just being part of the human race and whether those are more aptly defined through, you know, biblical, you know, the 10 commandments and, and other wisdom that's, uh, you know, passed on through scripture, or if it's just, um, you know, our innate um, knowledge and compass of, you know, what's, what's right and wrong. Hmm. Um, I try to keep that in the back of my mind when, when I'm talking about equipping children, it's like, and like with my own boys, I would say, you know, look, I, I am, you know, just as, you know, faulty as the next person. I make mistakes all the time you know, we just can't process everything. I over, I overlook things. I let people down, whether, you know, whether I choose to, or, you know, just didn't know what, you know, whatever, you know, just lots of reasons. Um, but it's important that you, you know, as talking to my children, you know, I, I would tell them, I, 
it's important that you know that, you know, I'm trying to equip you to make decisions and be a healthy contributor to society. Yes. And in order to do that, first of all, you have to take care of yourself. You have to be, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to, you know, do the things that allow you to do that. Then you have to, the next level is, you know, you've got to not get, um, you know, not let any one part of your life get out of control, like emotions. You know, you can't let your you know, emotions get the best of you. Um, so once you work on yourself and you, you know, hold yourself to like, hey, I have some boundaries. Like, I'm not going to do this or, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, simple things like I'm going to try to listen to somebody to hear what they have to say mm. instead of listening to somebody so that I can reply and make them think the way I want them to think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, you know, that's a, a little example that, that I would work on with them. And in building that foundation with my boys what I think that allowed them to do was then see for themselves errant behavior in others. So, you know, it's, you know, not that, you know, they were looking for things that Max's wife, you know, was doing or not doing, but, mm -hmm. you know, they, I mean, they see things in me, you know, I mean, their father wounds just as much as their mother wounds. Sure. And, um, you know, and hope, hopefully we get to a point where, you know, we can discuss those um, if there's, you know, if there's behavior that needs correcting. And so I think it's, you know, kind of how you hold mm -hmm. that parenting concept that you're not trying to teach your kids to see the fallacies in the other parent or the narcissist, but you're creating the, uh, a healthy child that can, that can, you know, establish boundaries that can love themselves in such a way that they can see when other people are taking advantage of them. Because that's not just a behavior that's going to happen inside the home. It's going to happen outside the home. <laughs> And, you know, my, my concept, I, when I, you know, people ask me my concept on parenting is, you know, every day of a child's life, they should be a little bit more independent. Mm. And, you know, when the baby's inside mommy, it's a hundred percent dependent on mommy. It cannot do anything, but, you know, it starts developing digestion. And so then it starts, you know, it starts digesting itself, you know, you know, by itself and, or, and obviously it goes through the umbilical cord, but you know, it's like starting processes. So every day that baby grows and then it gets born and it relies on mom for a while, but eventually, you know, hopefully, you know, they get to a point where our children are feeding themselves or cleaning themselves or clothing themselves are supporting themselves and, uh, you know, or contributing to society um 
so when it when it comes to that other parent, especially when they're narcissist, um, it's that's it's such a it's such a soft sell. It's such a hard thing to to address because you don't want to get in an accusation. Right. Uh, well, mode. I was going to say, and let me say, I wasn't talking about pointing fingers or blaming or shaming, but it was really about teaching your children what boundaries was okay and not okay. Like what behavior was acceptable because you're, like you said, you're teaching them to not do those things. You're teaching them not to hang up a phone. You're teaching all, them to, 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 to be a good person. Absolutely. And sometimes what I would do is, um, you know, golly, even with, even with children of ex, an ex-girlfriend, um, I would consider the behavior of the narcissist and then come up with an analogy or mm -hmm. another story about how this behavior shows up with somebody else where there's no emotional connection. There's no, you know, necessarily a loyalty connection. And you know what? Not unlike what I just did a few minutes ago when you were asking me, you know, how would you do this? And I talked about my children, mm -hmm. like how I, so I came up with an analogous story that, um, that hopefully, you know, conveyed my approach, um, uh, without, you know, selling or attacking, you know, the, my right. boy's mother, because, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not, you know, that just doesn't, whatever, whatever pain we have and we've caused each other, um, uh, does not need to be owned by the children. I agree. And, um, you know, they can learn, I mean, they need to develop their own relationship and they can learn what healthy and unhealthy behavior is, um, for, you know, from others. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the, for me, again, being the outsider of not being a parent, but for me, it's about really just like you mentioned, teaching the kid what's right and wrong uh -huh. and um, being able to say, you know, we all make mistakes and when they're older, at some point, they'll have to be able to forgive too. You know, forgiving, I think is something that, you know, as parents, we're never really taught our parents never really taught us how to forgive too. And that's something. And in my own coaching, it's about the behavior. It's, it's not the person is not the behavior. So we, yeah, the, you know, the, it, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not labeling them. You know, I'm not trying to label anyone or put anyone in a box. It's about being able to just notice that, you can say no and say, I don't like this, how you treat me, and I'm going to do something about it. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the accountability piece is that I'm taking accountability for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny because often like my history, it was that establishing a boundary felt selfish to me. Yeah, of course it did. It always does, especially when it's new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would steer clear of establishing boundaries because I did not realize that other people's selfish motivations were going to destroy me. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know, 
well, I care about you. How can you not care about me the same way I care? And I carry that behavior. I mean, I still deal with that behavior in my 50s. So it's like, you know, wow, that 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 feels, you know, establishing a boundary feels selfish. Um, and, you know, I watched, I watched that behavior mirror, you know, I mirror that behavior. I watched it happen um, in different family dynamics in my family where there were people that were, you know, not establishing boundaries. And I didn't even recognize, I mean, I, I recognized it and I would even call out these family members. It's like, you know, you can say no, you know, it's, it's okay to say no, you know, it's driving you nuts and it's stressing you out. And, you know, and I, could see it in another, but I sure couldn't see it in the mirror. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this feels, this feels selfish. And um, yeah, it was a, a lesson I learned, and this doesn't go straight to setting, setting boundaries, but it goes into the selfishness deal. Um, one time I was probably in middle school, early high school. My grandmother wanted to buy me a watch and it was, you know, like a, a nice a dress watch. It was a couple hundred dollars. I mean, it was nice for, you know, especially for a high school kid. Uh, I mean, or so I thought, you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, and I kept telling Granny no. I was like, no. And my, my grandfather, he stopped me and he says, Jay, you are being so selfish. And I was like, no, I'm not. I sat and had an argument with my grandfather. I was like, I'm not being selfish. No, I don't want her to, I don't want her to spend that money on me. You know, that, I mean, that makes me, you know, if I have something nice, that makes me feel selfish. And he goes, that is wrong. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? He said, you are telling your grandmother, no, you are not allowing her to give you a gift which brings joy to her mm. and you are being selfish because you're allowing whatever feeling you have to limit her generosity and her gift giving. And I was like, wow. So yeah, I get that. I was being selfish by trying not to be selfish. <laughs> and I was happens. like, and I was like, this is crazy. And so it's it's a very simplistic example, but it's something that I see when it comes to boundaries, you know, all the time. Um, you know, I've got a couple of college friends that, you know, I wish I was still in contact with. Um, mm -hmm. They were, you know, really good guys. I, you know, really enjoyed um, our relationships. But... I know their lives are busy and there's not room in their lives for a relationship with me. And it's interesting. You know, it's like, huh, that's not mean. It's not ugly. It's just like, okay, you know, there's a, they've set some boundaries that work for them and I'm going to respect that. And, you know, we had, you know, I couldn't, you know, I consider them friends. If, if I had a, you know, 
horrible situation that I needed to call upon them, I'm sure they would, you know, take my call, but we don't have a day to day or a month to month or even a year to year relationship. And I was like, huh. So that's a boundary they've established that it's not necessarily reflective of me. I don't have to absorb that in my identity that, you know, I've done something wrong. Doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, they've, they've got a life going on and they've established their priorities and that's okay. I can respect that. Um, and so yeah. that's like a, that's an example of like a healthy boundary mm-hmm. that could feel, you know, icky, but it's not. And right. um, so, yeah, the whole, the whole boundaries, you know, is, is really, it's about self-love and, you know, we only have so much energy to expend on a daily basis and we need to choose how we, how we spend that energy. And, right. um, and the first thing we need to do is take care of ourselves. So that energy is maximized. Absolutely. And I love that you, you you're bringing up selfishness with boundaries. So let me just reiterate for the audience that boundaries are not selfish just like self-care is not selfish. You know, I've heard that so many times. Well, you know, taking time for yourself, you're just being selfish. It's like, no, just you hit the nail on the head when you said we have so much energy. We only have so much energy. Mm -hmm. And if we, I talked about this a few episodes ago, you cannot pour from an empty vessel. You have to be able to come from a place of overflow. And the way that you do that is through those health, practicing those healthy boundaries. And believe me, there is no, nothing perfect about any of this. It's about progress in the process, not, Mm -hmm. not perfection. And this is just about a practice and practicing boundaries and practicing self-care allows you to free up some of that energy that you would be worrying about someone else, worrying about their attention. Where is their attention when it was normally on you? And you're able to focus what attention on you, your attention on you rather than your attention on someone else. And that taking time for yourself is not selfish. So, mm. right. I highly... right. No, it just feels that way, but it, we've got to interrupt that feeling that so taking he- that taking time for yourself can feel selfish. Well, it feels selfish when one, you are still listening to that program from childhood, that it is selfish that we've been listening to for all these years, that it is selfish. Number one. And number two, anytime you do something new, it's uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't want to feel uncomfortable and setting boundaries with other people is going to be uncomfortable, especially when you do it at first. And they're going to have like, what, what did you just say? Kind of reaction. And they're going to be like, oh, you don't talk to me like that. It's like, no, no, no. It's not about you. It's about protecting me. Yeah. And it's not being selfish that I'm protecting me. It's that I have to protect me so that I can love you mm-hmm. well you know it's kind of if you think about your energy being like a bank you know in let's say you have a thousand dollars a thousand units of energy well 
you know, that could be spent in, in good. And it's like, if you just open the door and unlock the vaults, then that thousand dollars is just going to vanish. I mean, people are just going to go and grab it. And then you're not using that to its full potential. It's going to be wasted. And so that's what, you know, protecting yourself and establishing those boundaries. Okay, I have a vault of energy, of who I am, of love, and I'm working on that. And I'm going to decide to whom I dole that out and how it's doled out. I am not just going to open the door to let any thief in that's going to rob and steal and, and, you know, take. So it's, um, you know, we don't, it doesn't feel bad keeping our money in a bank or, you know, keeping the money in a vault that doesn't feel ugly that is like, no, I'm protecting what's valuable. Well, guess what? Your time and energy is valuable too. So you should be protecting that. Absolutely. I'm speaking in the mirror right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe we need to write that on our own mirror and as a reminder every day, right? You have to protect our own energy. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're talking about all of this and truthfully, we talked about at the beginning of the, the episode is the best way to practice all of these is to have support and to have support systems, support teams, people who are literally on your side who, you know, we're going to put a hand, um, give you a hand out. Um, I'm sorry. No, they're going to give you a hand up when you need it, not a handout. And yeah. they're also going to be honest with you. Like, you know, you are kind of a, uh, you're not very nice. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're kind of selfish sometimes too. And, and be able to have that kind of dialogue. And I know for me, I had support. I went through counseling. I've had coaches. I've had groups that I belong to, um, celebrate recovery, all kinds of things, Al-Anon, things like that. And, you know, Jay, with what you're talking about, you do groups as well. So speaking of support, how can people get in touch with you? If they want to work with you, they're like, oh my God, Jay's amazing. I can't (laughs) wait to work with him. How do they get in touch with you for that? Well, I tell you, there's, um, you know, there's, I guess, a couple of ways. Um, probably the, my men's, my I've got a weekly men's support group that we call Lifeboat. And um, it's literally just a play. It's a Zoom meeting. So guys, you know, Zoom in from all over the country. It's mostly guys in the Central Texas area. We also meet in person once a month. But, um, you know, if, if, you know, if you're a guy that's just looking to connect with other men that are going through divorce and just, you know, you can ask for it. We don't give advice. It's not a, it's not therapy. It's not a place to come and, uh, you know, solve all your legal problems. It's just a place to, you know, hang out with some guys that, have gone through the same experience or are going through the same experience. Um, and that, if, if that's, you know, your cup of tea and something you want to look into, that's lifeboataustin.com. And, um, that, 
it's just a landing page that gives you a Zoom link to meet us on on uh, Monday evenings, and that's lifeboataustin.com. Um, I've got, um, you know, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is my Instagram is open, um, and I've got several Instagram channels, but um, the the one that you can easily get a hold of me is my is my personal one. It's Moto J T M O T O J T. Um, it's the only the only uh, social media that I regularly post to. Um, stuff gets out there on Facebook, but uh, that's you know where a lot of a lot of my uh, community connects on. And then you know once we're connected there, if if somebody wants to uh, you know look into some personal coaching or you know either some or some small group coaching, then I'm available. Uh, and I can, you know, once we connect on Instagram or through Lifeboat, then I can, uh, you know, give you my personal contact information and, and we'll look at that. Awesome. Well, Jay, this has just been <laughs> so overdue, number one. First of all, absolutely overdue. And second of all, just such a joy, as always, every conversation that we have. So thank you for, for being here and sharing your story. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. And, you know, maybe we should just, anytime we want to talk, just fire up Zoom and record it because I know we've left a, a plethora of nuggets, wisdom and knowledge out there on the trail while I'm doing my trail thoughts. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Shay. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And just like we talked about, that support is so crucial, especially in these days and times. I want you to know that you're not alone, which is why I've created my own men's group coaching. It's called Spark Your Alpha, and it is eight sessions, and we go every other week. And if you want to know more about it, go to shaysparkspodcast.com slash contact and connect with me, send me an email and we will be starting soon. So be on the lookout for that. And until next time, let's get fired up. <laughs>